The outline there, I should say, enduring in our Christian life. And that's what I want to talk to you about this evening. Enduring in our Christian life. And of course, we're looking at this topic because we have now come to Colossians chapter 1, verse 11 to verse 12. Uh, you know that these verses are part of Paul's prayer uh, for the church at Colossae. As we've been reminding ourselves, Paul has never met these new followers of Christ at Colossae. Uh, he has only heard about them from Epaphras. But he tells us in verse 9 to 10 that since he heard about them, he has been praying for them to grow in being like Christ. And we looked at that this morning in verse 9 to verse 10. What I want to do this evening is to look at the second part of Paul's prayer in verse 11 to verse 12. I'll just read it for you there. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Uh, in these verses, Paul is praying for the Colossians really to endure in Christ to the end. Uh, this prayer answers uh, an important question that all Christians should have, which is this. What does it mean for me to endure in Christ? And how does this look like every day? And Paul in this passage gives us answers to this. And I think it gives us three answers. So he's given us the answer. And, and as it were, we can summarize the answer in three important truths about Christian endurance, which I just want to share with you uh, this evening. The first thing on your outline there is simply this. We are meant to endure in Christ patiently and joyfully. All Christians endure, that's given. What Paul is focusing on here is how we endure, which is we are meant to endure in Christ patiently and joyfully. That's the first thing I want us to see. Now, Lauren uh, Hillenbrand, uh, in our book, Unbroken, uh, she tells a story of the amazing odyssey of Louis Zamperini. In fact, I was discussing <laughs> Louis Zamperini with Brother Rob not long ago. In May 1943, at the height of the Second World War, Louis crashed into the Pacific Ocean. He was on his way back uh, from doing a bombing raid, and he just crashed. By God's grace, he got into his life raft, right? And that, that, that was really the beginning of Louis' journey of survival and starvation. And this journey led, to him, led him to find himself in one of the worst prison war camps of the Second World War in Japan. It's a breathtaking story, really, of tragedy and triumph. The book, I would say, is well, well worth the read. And in fact, there's a film as well, but I've never watched the film. But the book is, I didn't want to spoil it, <laughs> the book is well worth the read. And as part of uh, Louis' experience, um, he was severely abused by some of the most notorious prison war officers in Japan. He suffered shocking brutality. Uh, I've, you know, I've heard many stories, but I've really never read of a man who was so abused at the hands of other people. But many years later, and particularly one man who really abused him when he was there, 
But many years later, uh, Louis Zamperini, of course, the war ended and all of that stuff. Louis Zamperini became free. So many years later, Louis wrote his abuser an extraordinary letter. And he wrote this letter after he heard that the abuser who had been on the run was still alive. And I just want to read for you what the letter uh, Louis wrote says. It says this. To Masuhiro Watanabe. As a result of my prison, prisoner of war experience under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. It was not so much due to the pain and suffering as it was the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate with a vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner of war, but also as a human being, were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the war ended. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble. But thanks to a confrontation with God, through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 1952 and was graciously allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at Sugamo Prison. I asked then about you and was told that you probably had committed harakiri, which is suicide, I think, in Japan, which I was sad to hear. At that moment, like the others, I also forgive, forgave you and now would hope that you would also become a Christian. So he had forgiven others, and he hoped this man who so abused him would now become a Christian. Louis Zamperin's story, as we hear it, reminds us of the truth that Paul is teaching us here. Believers, you see, are not only supposed to endure, that's a given, we are called to endure with joy and patience. You see, before Louis became a Christian, he, he, he endured a lot, but not with joy and patience. But when he had that confrontation with Christ, when he, when, when, when he encountered Christ, his life changed, you see. And this is the first truth I just want to say that Paul is teaching us in this prayer. All followers of Christ are, are meant to keep going in life with patience and joy. Look at verse 11 there again. Paul says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. What's the purpose? For all endurance and patience with joy. To endure in Christ means to keep going in our new life in Christ in spite of the hardship, isn't it? We refuse to give in to despair, to fear or cowardice. But notice here, Paul is not so much praying for general endurance, as I said. All of us in Christ will endure to the end. That's a given. The perseverance of the saints. Our endurance is guaranteed. What Paul is praying for here is the quality of our endurance. And he points out two qualities he wants these new believers to have in their endurance. First of all, 
They must have patient endurance. That's what this 11 is getting at. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. What is patience? Well, patience is not taking our future in our own hands. But to keep waiting on God who loves us in Christ to act for us when he sees fit. That's patience. We refuse to act unless God tells us to act. We wait on God. Paul desires that the Colossians, you see, would endure against temptations and sufferings, right? And endure in bearing fruit in every good work with patience. So first of all, patience, patient endurance. The second thing that Paul desires for them is not only patient endurance, it is joyful endurance, isn't it? May you be strengthened, verse 11, with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with what? With joy. Now, we should be clear immediately that Christian joy, uh, Paul is not saying you should be going around wearing a permanent smile. That's not Christian joy. Hopefully we all know that, I'm sure. To be joy, otherwise none of us would be joyful, right? To be joyful in Christ means to have that inner peace and rest based on the assurance of who we are in Christ and what God has done for us. And it is this assurance in our hearts that results in rejoicing in Christ. In other words, we are meant to endure with joy with a heart that is rejoicing in Christ. Not at the difficulties, but rejoicing with thanks, with gratitude in Christ for our new life, isn't it? That God has given us. Despite all that's going on, we remember who we are in Christ and we are looking to him. We we are meant to endure with joy in the Lord. That says, yes, it is hard to stand against sin in my life. It is hard to keep going in this suffering, in this difficult situation I'm in. But because of Christ, I, I, I will do it. I am thankful for all that Christ has done for me, right? I, I love him and for him I'll press on. Not grudgingly, but patiently and thankful to him. It is Christ-centered. And all Christians, Paul is reminding us, are meant to endure in Christ in this way. And I just want you to notice, notice the comprehensiveness, the comprehensive nature of this patient and joyful endurance in verse 11. Look at that. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for what? For all endurance and patience with joy. Don't miss that word. All endurance. I think what Paul means is that Christ wants us to endure with patience and joy in continuously, that the all captures that, and in every situation we are facing in our lives, without exception. And so I would say two things. First of all, Christ wants you to endure patiently against temptation in your life. Okay? Patiently against temptation in your life. He wants you to keep standing patiently against sin at all costs. He wants you to endure against looking at the evil things on your mobile phones or whatever gadget you've got. He wants you to endure against laziness in your life. He wants you to endure against overindulgence and gluttony in your life. He wants you to endure against constant worrying about your job 
He wants you to endure against worrying about the health of your loved ones, whether physical or mental. Christ wants you to endure against chasing after success in this life. He wants you to endure against the temptation to be liked by everyone. And many other things, many other temptations you face. He wants you to endure against those things. But Christ does not just want you to patiently endure against these things. He also wants you to endure joyfully in doing the things that he commands. If you like, the other one is a negative endurance, but it's also the positive endurance, right? So, for example, Christ wants you to endure with joy your Bible reading. He wants you to keep going with joy in sitting under the preaching of the Word of God. Morning and evening. Christ wants you to joyfully endure praying. Not just to put up with it, but delight in doing it. Not simply praying alone, but also enduring in praying with others. It's a good thing to pray with others. And it's hard to endure it. So Christ wants you to endure it with joy. Christ also wants you to endure in loving the unlovable members of your family or your wider family. He wants you to endure in sharing the gospel with your kids and your grandkids. He wants you to endure with joy in, in working faithfully in your workplace. It is tough, but he, he has placed you there and he's saying, endure it joyfully for me. So there are things we must endure against and there are things we must endure in positive. And I just wonder this evening, where is Christ calling you to endure with joy and patience? Where is Christ calling you to endure with joy and patience? Not simply enduring, you're already doing that. But where is he calling you to endure with joy and patience? Because this is the burden of this text, you see. Paul is reminding us we are meant to endure with joy and patience. Now when you think about that, as I thought about that, that sounds daunting, isn't it? It sounds even unrealistic. But it's not unrealistic. This is the living word of God. What God commands, he enables us to do. And that's the point, isn't it? The second point. And it's a point we made, similar point we made in the morning. God is available to help us endure. In fact, God has made himself available to help us endure with joy and patience. God is not asking us to do this in our strength. We endure patiently and joyfully by the power of God. And that's the second point we learn here. We endure patiently and joyfully by the power of God. And that's what we need to remember today, I should just say. If we remember anything today, it is this. It is impossible for us to grow in endurance with patience and joy in our own power. No one should live this evening saying, oh, I've got to do it now. Nah. This is only possible by the power of God. And that's why Paul is praying, isn't it, in verse 11. May you be strengthened by God, we should say, with all power according to his glorious mind, for all endurance and patience with joy. Notice here, by the way, that Paul does not call on God to use little power. 
is praying for all power. And that should make you sit up. He wants all of God's almighty power to be unleashed in the lives of the Colossians. Now, this is on purpose. The Apostle Paul knows that little power for God is infinite power. He knows that. So why then is he using this word all? Well, Paul is using this word all because he feels the weight of this issue. And maybe some of us have to sit in this scripture to really understand the weight of this. Paul knows just how difficult it is to endure with joy and patience. It's hard. As believers, we are good at plodding on. We, we do that okay. We plod on. You know, we just carry on, don't we? But that's not what he's talking about. This is going forward with joy and patience. When you think about that, you realize this is very hard. And that's why Paul emphasizes the need for all of God's power. And there is a lesson for us here, isn't there? Because as I thought about these patches, I, I thought to myself, you know, sometimes as believers, we are very quick to assume that mature Christians find it easy to be joyful and patient. So we assume elders are, you know, they're, they're just going to be joyful and patient all the time. We assume mature men and women in the church who have worked with Christ for many years and are serving in the church, they always sing in the night, we assume. And they do it with joy to God. And when we don't see them do that, we even look baffled. Huh? What's going on there? We assume that they must be so patient, you see, because they know the Bible. They know how the story ends. They know Christ wins. He's already won. Of course, they are reformed, don't they? So they know God is sovereign. We assume that because they know those things, then they'll just not only endure, but this is easy for them. Joy and patience. And so what we often do is that we assume they are okay. We look at them from the outside, we go, oh, they must be okay. And so we do not bother to pray for them earnestly. We do not bother to ask them deep questions. How are you really doing, isn't it? Often we do in Bible study, we say when we ask somebody, how are you, we should follow up, shouldn't it? Okay, thanks for the answer, but how are you really doing? Right? But we don't do that, don't we? Because we assume they are okay. And so we don't bother to ask those deep questions or encourage them patiently. That is, of course, until one day they're in some very dark tunnel that they cannot escape, and we ask ourselves, what happened? What happened there? Well, what happened is that they were enduring, but like all of us, struggled with this joyful and patient thing. We wrongly assume they're immune. We wrongly assume they're different, that they had reached some level where they didn't need this instruction. And so Paul is saying to the Colossians and us, isn't it? This joyful and patient endurance needs all of God's power. It needs all of his might. Why? Because this is very, very hard. Not just mighty power, it needs glorious might from God. 
And maybe what this means for us, some of us just realize that, yeah, this is hard. I'm not there on this joyful and, and patient thing. It's hard. I need God. I need God to help me endure. And so what that means is that if we want to endure with joy and patience, we then start praying earnestly, don't we? Prayer is the key that unlocks the power of God. And I just said it's the same thing even for, I would say even in marriages. I mean, obviously I'm going off tangent here, but when I think about people we think are mature, even in our marriages, we must never assume that because our, our wives perhaps read the Bible all the time and, and they've been mature in the Lord, that means they're going to endure. Of course, the scripture is, takes our blinders off, doesn't it? Everyone is very hard, this joyful and patient thing. Anyway, that's a side point. I don't know why I had it that. Anyway, the, the, the point is this. Prayer is what unlocks the power of God. So Paul is praying. And, and, and for us is this. If you are not praying to grow in patience, in enduring against temptation, you will struggle with sin, beloved, no matter how much of the Bible you know. I just can't emphasize enough. Today I've been banging on about prayer, so I'll just bang on it just a little bit more, right? It is that point. Reading the Bible is not enough. I know that sounds, the Bible, of course, is sufficient, but you need the power of God to bring the word of God to life. Yeah? And so you must combine the reading of the word with prayer. That's the right way to read the scriptures. Because if you're not praying to grow in joy, in enduring, in living for Christ in that area, of course you will endure to the end, but not with true joy rooted in Christ. And if you're not enduring with joy, then the devil is robbing you of that joy, that, that fulfillment that is already yours in Christ. I just want you to notice also that Paul is showing us here that it is not enough just for us to pray for ourselves. Let us pray for ourselves. But we also need other believers to pray for our endurance. We need to encourage others to pray for us. And we need to pray for others to endure. Because that's what Paul is modeling here, isn't it? Many Christians know about William Carey, don't they? I hope you've heard of him. Uh, he's often called the father of modern missions. He suffered many unbelievable obstacles in his life and work. Not least because he had a very unsympathetic wife who later became insane. Yet, in all of this, William Carey translated the Bible into 40 languages and dialects of India. Most people know that. Perhaps not the unsympathetic wife bit. What most people do not know is that William Carey's sister is also an example of endurance. She was totally paralyzed and bedridden. And yet, as she lay on her bed in London, in that invalid state, she prayed for all the details and the struggles of her brother's work in India. Carrie's sister, you see, could not do much, at least by what we think of doing much, right? But she endured in this one thing. She endured in praying for her brother to be strengthened by the power of God. And because she endured in prayer, her brother was strengthened 
and helped by God to endure, not just endure, William Carey endured with joy and patience in his missionary work in India. And so immediately raises the question, isn't it? <laughs> Heaven will be a very interesting place when the Lord gives out those crowns, isn't it? William Carey or the sister? You know, that, the Lord knows these things. Our prayers, so vital to William Carey. I just wonder this evening, which follower of Christ around you in the life of the church or perhaps outside needs you to endure in praying for them so that they would have patience and joy in their endurance? Who do you know needs endurance with patience and joy? Which believer do you know? Well, pray for them, isn't it? Pray for them. Bring them before the Lord this coming week. This make this a point to pray for them. That they would endure. Not just endure, but they would endure with joy and patience. Now, just because it's down to God to grow us in joy and patient endurance uh, does not mean that we have nothing to do apart from praying, right? That's not what we're saying. Although it's down to God, prayer, yeah, I can do that, right? I'll just end there. No, that's not what we're saying. We have a responsibility not only to pray, but to do a second thing. We have a responsibility to remember our identity in Christ with thanks. It is one of the ways God helps us grow in our joyful and patient endurance. And that's the third truth I just want to share here. So the first truth is we are meant to endure in Christ patiently and joyfully. The second thing is we endure patiently and joyfully by the power of God. And here's the final thing. We grow in endurance by remembering our identity in Christ. Now, one of my favorite films is The Hurricane. Uh, the movie tells the story of Hurricane Carter, isn't it? An American boxer, Reuben the Hurricane Carter. And the story is that the, you know, the Hurricane is, was wrongly convicted of murder. Now... In that movie, as, you, as we watch this movie, the Arakan has been wrongly convicted, so he's been sent to prison. And so he arrives in prison. Uh, the movie is played by Denzel Washington, of course, one of my favorite actors. And so he, he comes in, Denzel, as the Arakan, right? Uh, he arrives in prison, and the prison warden orders him, the Arakan, to wear a prison uniform. Of course he does. That's a prison. You wear a prison uniform, right? But Hurricane Carter refuses. He says, only guilty people wear a prison uniform. Since I am innocent of any crime, I refuse to put on the identity of a convict. This becomes a big battle. So the warden sends him immediately into solitary confinement. A few months later, while he's in solitary confinement, a new warden arrives. And for whatever reason, he decides to release the hurricane. And he compromises and he lets the hurricane wear different clothes from everyone else. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because the hurricane's small victory, you see, in this small area, in preserving his identity, actually set the tone for the rest of his life. It set the tone, certainly for the movie, right? Because as time passes, what, what we begin to see is that the hurricane 
Now, it's different from everyone else. So he's having this huge impact on people. He does his own thing. And of course, he believes in this identity that is, is free, so he keeps pushing. And eventually, of course, he wins release from prison. The message of the film, you don't have to sit there and you know, get the expert on the BBC to tell us. It's very clear what its message is. It is saying knowing who you are is so important in life. It is important in facing any obstacles in life. If your identity goes, your life goes with it. And the Apostle Paul here is making the same fundamental point at a much deeper level in his prayer for the church at Colossae. Look at verse 11 to verse 12 there again. He says this, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Paul, Paul, Paul is indirectly saying that growing in patient and joyful endurance is fueled by remembering with thanks who we are in Christ. And here he tells us who we are in Christ. Who are we? Well, simply put, we are children of God, giving thanks to the Father. God is our Father because he's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, verse 3 helps us to see that, isn't it? Every believer can say with confidence, the creator of the universe is now my daddy. Abba, father. And we know we are his children by two things, isn't it? By adoption, God has adopted us. We carry his name as his adopted children. And we are also his children by the new birth. We've been born again by, to a living hope, by his Holy Spirit. We are his new creation, his new children in Christ. God has given us a new nature. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit living in us. And, and sermon number two reminded us that we now live in constant union with the Holy Trinity. We draw life from God. We are in Christ, isn't it? We draw life from God. We draw power, strength, and wisdom from God. We are children of God in Christ. And just as you never stop being a member of your biological family, even if they disown you, right? Some families disown people, right? But they never stop being members of the family. It's a fact. They're, they're, it's biological. But it's the same thing with us in Christ. We'll always be part of God's family now because of the new birth, you see. Anyway, God has no plans to disown us, <laughs> right? He is committed to us. Like I said, like to say, you know, we are spiritually joined at the spiritual hip, as it were. He loves us being his children. And he has lavished on us a wonderful and unique kind of love, as the Apostle John reminds us in 1 John 3, verse 1. That's our God. And, beloved, what an amazing thing for us to have God as our Father. He is infinite, we are finite. He is independent, we depend on him for everything. He is unchanging, we only know change in our lives. He is pure and holy, we are by nature vile sinners. Even in Christ, we still sin against him. God is good, well, we are evil and unclean. 
God is love, we are in so many ways hateful towards God, even now. Hateful towards ourselves and, and even shades of hate towards his children. And yet this God who is not like us has so loved you that he is now your father in Christ. The Holy Spirit, as I said, has sealed your adoption by God in Christ forever. And so because you are now his child in Christ, God now looks upon you as he looks upon the Lord Jesus Christ because you are in Christ. So when he looks upon you, he says, this is my beloved child. In how him I am well pleased. And so Paul here is saying, look, if we want to not only endure, but to endure with joy and thanks, well, we need to be remembering these truths of who we are, that we are children of God. And we need to remember it with thanks to God our Father. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. What Paul is really saying there, just briefly, Paul is saying, look, we haven't just become children of God. We have inherited all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm, as he puts it in Philippians. You know, the word inheritance here is from the Old Testament. Uh, it is meant to remind us of those territories. When you hear the word inheritance, you should be thinking, Old Testament, Old Testament. Well, did we see inheritance? Well, children of Israel, isn't it? So inheritance is meant to remind us of those territories that the Lord allocated to the tribes of Israel. And Paul is saying, God has qualified all true followers of Christ to share in the spiritual privileges of being full partakers of his new covenant in Christ. God has already qualified us to share in the blessings in Christ. The inheritance, by the way, here we should understand it as Paul is using it. He's going to use a slightly different letter, but as he's using it here, we should really understand this inheritance as the kingdom of light, because he's going to go to that in verse 13 to 14. The kingdom of light, isn't it? We should understand this passage as really talking about the blessings that we now have in Christ, the blessings we enjoy now. There's a sense in which we have entered God's rest, right? We have entered the new inheritance in the new covenant, right? But of course, there's a whole fullness to come. So there's, a, there's, a, there's an eschatological dimension to this inheritance. We are, we, we are in the now and not yet, isn't it? That's in the greater eschatology. We are now... In Christ, heaven has come down to earth. We are enjoying the privileges, so to speak, of the powers of the age to come. But yet there is more to come, isn't there? More fullness in the new heavens and new earth. The hope when this whole thing, the now and not yet, is ours now, Paul is saying. He has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Now and our guaranteed hope, which we looked at last Sunday. And so Paul is saying, look, we need to remember this truth. We need to remember that, that all that our hearts desire is already ours. And though we don't yet enjoy all of it, right, we have a guaranteed glorious future. We need to remember that. This is how... Paul is saying, we grow to 
live to endure with joy and patience. It is by remembering we are already blessed in Christ. Now many followers of Jesus, sadly, live or have something that poor David Tripp calls a miserable faith. That's what poor David Tripp calls it, a miserable faith. They are enduring in Christ, but it is not with joyful and patient endurance. And we have to ask ourselves, why is that? Well, the simple answer is, they are quietly disappointed with God. They feel God has not given them what he has promised. They look at the world, they open the Bible, and they think to themselves, I have to obey everything God commands here. If I do that, I miss out on a whole lot, right? And so what happens is they live with little compromises here, compromises there, trying to balance their life in Christ with this formal thing, fear of missing out, right? And so they attend church, but not with joy of being gathered with the people of God. Church is just about the minimum, you see. Just checking in, not the full scope. They give in to the Lord's work, but they do it with kicking and screaming. And because they are disappointed with God, they cannot endure sharing the gospel with others. There is no intentionality to make Christ known. They cannot endure with joy against the sins of busyness, Laziness, online addiction, pornography, overreaching, alcohol, and envy of others. They cannot endure against these sins. They cannot endure with patience, reading the Bible, praying, being with other believers. And so as a result, you see, their life is joyless. They're still converted, perhaps. But their life is largely joyless. And Paul is saying here, beloved, tonight... It doesn't have to be like that. If these people are truly followers of Christ, they can live a life of patient and joyful endurance. And he says, how does that work? Well, that's, that's remembering the truth of who we are in Christ. It's all about the gospel. God is our Father in Christ, and we have blessings in Christ beyond imagination. And when we remember that, when we keep reminding ourselves of that, when we keep reminding others that, and they remind us that, then it fills our heart with gratitude and thanks to God. And that in turn fills us rejoicing in Christ for what he's done, regardless of the circumstances we are in. We experience joyful and patient endurance. The error, can you see? He looked inside. To endure and fight for his uncertain freedom. And in the film, you see, you notice in the process of that solitary confinement, he nearly went mad. Louis Zamperini out there in the Pacific nearly went mad as well. 
Until the confrontation with Christ. And therein lies the contrast, isn't it? Our endurance in Christ is already guaranteed. We know how our story ends. And so the question for us in Christ is always, how then do we endure with joy and patience? And Paul is saying, we have every reason to endure with joy and patience because our identity in Christ makes us grateful to God. And of course, the tragedy is that many believers are not enduring with patience and joy because of spiritual amnesia. They forget who they are in Christ. Or perhaps gospel amnesia, we might call it, right? And so us, as we have gathered this evening, let us resolve this evening to keep reminding ourselves of the gospel. Let us remind ourselves that we have a wonderful Father in Christ, a wonderful Savior, who has secured for us, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. And as we do that, well, we'll live out our endurance with patience and joy. Amen.